Fat Force Radio. Fat Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the Batman and DC podcast with no limits. This week we are joined by Dunk in New York. What's up? Grandpa Batman in Texas. Howdy. Of the Bat Force Times in New York. Hello, hello. And I'm Robin Cross in Canada. This week's guest is a New York Times best-selling author of YA titles like X-Files Origins and the Teen Titans Raven and Beast Boy books. She is also currently seven issues into Criminal Sanity, with one issue remaining in the DC Black Label Joker and Harley Quinn series. Welcome to Bat Force Radio, Cami Garcia. Hey, how are you? Great. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you again. I think I just said that for taking the time to join us. Um, so I wanted to start right off with getting your origin story. So <laughs> what was your inspiration to writing? Like what, what was that thing that, that made you decide that this is what I wanted? It's to do? very superhero-esque. It was an accident. Um, oh, perfect. So, and you got superpowers. Yeah. So I... <laughs> I um, started out as a teacher. I was a teacher for 17 years. I worked with um, primarily elementary school, and um, then I tutored English in high school and junior high. And um, basically, my my best friend, Margaret Stoll, and I, she's the co-author of the Beautiful Creatures series for with me, which is my first series. She and I were really good friends. She was in um, one of the few women at the time in gaming. She was... Uh, she was a principal at uh, Seven Studios, which was eventually bought by Activision. And I was a teacher. We were both fantasy nerds. And we basically mm-hmm. wrote Beautiful Creatures on a Dare from seven of my students. And, um, and it kind of, you know, we wrote it like serialized fiction. It kind of, um, the kids loved it. The teens loved it. And we accidentally got an agent. And we ended up getting it published. I was still teaching when the first book came out actually wow yeah so it was it's very like literally we knew nothing about publishing we she had always wanted to be a writer and i had you know done i'd done a lot of writing mostly uh writing poetry for my brother's girlfriends um but like you know i didn't have any i don't have an mfa or anything like that i have a you know i have a grad school degree in teaching but I, you know, I love fantasy. I love sci-fi. I grew up, I have four brothers, so I love superheroes and comics and all that kind of stuff. And we just kind of put our chocolate and peanut butter together. You know, it's kind of like you guys having a show. It's Except we did it on paper, and the rest was kind of history. And then by the time this, the second Beautiful Creatures book came along, like, I wasn't teaching anymore, and then I was writing full-time. 
I, I was going to ask when that happened, you know, once the publishing started, at what point did you say, screw these kids, I'm just writing? <laughs> no, honestly, I really miss teaching. The hard thing is when you teach high school and college at a university, you can take a sabbatical. But when you teach younger children, you really can't because they don't actually want a sub. They want their teacher. So I took um, kind of I had to go on tour. So my boss gave me like, you know, three weeks, a month off to go on tour for Beautiful Creatures. And while I was on the second leg of the tour, they offered us a deal for books three and four. And I basically had to call and tell my boss. And she was like, yeah, we were expecting this. And, um, you know, I, it was luckily it was May. So I came back for June with my students. And then, you know, it was understood that they were going to find someone to replace me for the fall. And, um, you know, and literally like that was it. Like I've been writing full time ever since. Um, I mean, there hasn't been a year I haven't had a book and I stopped writing prose about four years ago to do graphic novels, which I thought would be one graphic novel and turned into a number of graphic novels and um, the Black Label series. Robin, are you there? Okay. Mm -hmm. I I've been making an effort lately to give more people uh, time to talk. Oh, sorry. I'm, <laughs> so, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a fast talker. No, I, I, meant, I meant those guys. Oh, okay. I, I'm, I've been, a, I've, nobody said anything, but I think I'm just, I've just been critical of myself that I feel like I uh, don't let other people uh, get questions in. So I've just been trying to uh, hang back for a minute in case someone else wants to say something. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. So, yeah, you... Uh, you referenced it, it leading into now doing, you're doing what with the Secret Files issue is what a 10 issue series altogether with it's seven issues nine. in it. It originally yeah, it, was going to be 10. I think originally it was nine plus a special, but it turned out to be eight plus the special. Okay. So it's, so I just finished writing, I'm done writing eight. Um, the artists, um, Nico Sion and Jason Badauer and um, Annette Guac, who's our colorist. Are finishing and um, and eight comes out in March and then the collected comes out in September. So uh, what I wanted to say was, uh, Criminal Sanity is a pretty bold departure from the standard canon history of both Joker and Harley, as well as the relationship between them. Uh, is that what you were you setting out to do that with the story to 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 give them something new or was that just uh, where you found yourself going? So uh, my my intro to DC was they were doing the new um, young readers line and they wanted people to do uh, middle grade and YA young adults. So I they they tapped me to do a young adult and I started doing the Teen Titans series, but. In the beginning, they just said, like, who do you want to, you know, who would, what characters would you like to do? And it was toward the beginning. So there were only a few that had been claimed. And I said, well, I want to do Joker. And they're like, well, we're not really doing villains. And I was like, well, I would have, I have, you know, I can put together a great pitch. So I pitched Titans, but on the side, I, I was developing this whole Joker pitch, which was basically like the, his origin story because, um, I, we have a consultant, a actual forensic psychiatrist um, who consults mm. on the series. And I've always been very fascinated by serial killers. I was considering writing an adult thriller. And Joker is always my favorite because he is literally the most dangerous. But 
in the DC canon, he's, you know, often depicted as insane. And he's actually a highly organized killer, which in real life would never be someone delusional. Organized serial killers are always either at average intelligence or above average. And in Joker's case, you know, he's pretty brilliant. So I basically wanted to, I wanted him to be scary. And to me, someone who's delusional, who, you know, might be doing something because they're afraid, you know, you know, Satan is talking through their dog. And if they don't do it, they're going to die. You know, the Sacramento vampire, the famous story was he actually believed that if he didn't drink, um, you know, blood from animals or humans, his heart was shrinking and he would die. So to me, like someone who's killing people because they believe they are, you know, saving themselves in some aspect isn't as scary as someone who is literally a hunter and kills for fun. And to me, Joker is really one of the scariest figures in fiction and media. He's very much like, you know, Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter to me. So I wanted him to be scary and like completely aware of his faculties. And, you know, on the flip side, the Har- Harley Quinn has always bothered me because she's so brilliant and she's a forensic psychiatrist. She's working in, you know, Arkham and real forensic psychiatrists do not fall in love with their patients, um, especially not psychopaths because a psychopath is, they can't love you. There's no empathy, no compassion. They're never going to fall in love with you. There's nothing to love. It's, they're very reptilian. And she would know that. So when I decided that Joker was going to be this larger than life, real, you know, totally sane serial killer in Gotham, he needed someone to pursue him, a profiler. And, you know, who better than Harley? So I, I knew right away I was not writing a love story. But I also knew that I wanted the tension that is, that, that is constant between the two of them that just happens to be generally romance. But I believe like you can have a lot of tension in lots of different types of relationships. You don't necessarily need romance. So I kind of wanted to preserve the core of her character. I wanted her to still be a survivor, but instead of surviving an abusive relationship, she survived an abusive mother. And she's also lost her best friend to the Joker, which is right in issue one. Um, years and years ago. And now she is pursuing this new present day serial killer. And she has no idea who this guy is, the identity of this guy. And we know it's Joker early on, but she doesn't know it's him. And um, it's really a procedural, you know, Gordon's in it. And, you know, it was super, it was really fun to do, you know, Gordon when he's still Lieutenant. And um, I mean, there's a lot of forensic accuracy. There's a lot of accuracy in the crime scenes. I had to do a ridiculous amount of research, everything from chemical weapons and um, electromagnetic fields and police procedure. And then my artists have to do a ton of, um, you know, reference work because they're drawing all these, you know, real life, you know, pieces of art and um, machinery and technical things. So I, you know, I just think it's, to me, it was kind of a dream project. And I was a little surprised DC let me do it. I mean, I did have a gigantic pitch with a table of contents, but I still was like, (laughs) when they told me I could do it, it was kind of like a dream, you know, like, because there are a few characters to me that are larger than life in popular culture and Joker's one of them. 
Uh, one always... of the cool uh, aspects that I like about the story is you go back sometimes to Harley teaching classes. And where that's useful is, like you mentioned earlier, that there's a difference between, and it's explained in the book as well, that there's a difference between someone who's a psychopath and someone who's just a, a depraved killer, but, you know, has all of this organization. They know exactly what they're doing. And Harley is teaching that to a class. And as she's doing that, it's like speaking to the reader, telling them. Yeah. This is why he's not a psychopath. This this is why he knows exactly what he's doing and why he's dangerous. He's a psychopath, but he's not a psychotic psychopath. Because psychosis is really, psychosis is the presence of delusions. And, you know, like Ed Gein, who is very famous, he's the one who made, like, furniture out yeah. of, you know, skin and lampshades and that sort of thing. Like, he was delusional. He, you know, he really had, like, he had reasons, psychological reasons and that he believed what he was doing was a different purpose than what he was actually doing. And I, you know, I did, I wanted it to be clear that there are killers like that who are killing because they have a delusion or they're, they're kind of living in a fantasy world of a hallucination. You know, some of them may be, you know, schizophrenic. Some of them may, um, actually Ed Gein was also suffering from dementia, even though he wasn't that old. So there can be all these complicated reasons, but the most important thing to me with Joker was I wanted him to be a true predator, um, which, you know, I mean, that exists in our world. We have, there are psychopaths, there are serial killers, there are the Ted Bundys of the world who are, were literally just out there like hunting for prey. And I, I wanted him to be that because he's, he is so brilliant. I mean, to me, like the Heath Ledger portrayal was always, so like kind of spot on for me because it was so clear that even though he liked to present as really crazy, he knew exactly what he was doing. I'm always interested in um, hearing from writers that have generally or originally just worked in prose and then they work in, you know, the graphic novels, comics genre. What's it like when you see your story on paper, you know, drawn out for the first time. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I actually went to art school for a short time. I mm -hmm. can't draw. I did like mixed media work, but I have an insane appreciation for drawing because I know how difficult it is. And I just have always grown up loving art. I have a brother who's a photographer. Um, and so for me, it was like a dream come true. I had consulted on the, the beautiful creatures manga but mm -hmm. not to this degree, because I didn't write the story. She literally took all the text from the book. So what I was basically doing was just approving art. But I wasn't actually participating in the storytelling in a way. And like when my first graphic novel was uh, Teen Titans Raven with Gabriel Piccolo, who's incredibly talented, and he hadn't done a graphic novel either. And... Um, now I am, having been a teacher, I am a very prepared person. I have done teleplays and other things, so I was very comfortable writing a script. But I also read, you know, I think I read every book I could get my hands on about how to write a comic. I was on Medium reading, like, <laughs> every interview I could get from Brian Michael Bendis and, you know, <laughs> Matt Fraction and Kelly Sue DeConnick. And I was really, you know, I was really trying to do my homework 
But I also think that because I'm a very like visual writer, when I write, I picture what's happening. So in my mind, so it's kind of like a movie in my mind and I am like recording what I see and what they're, what the people, what the characters are saying. And so that worked really well for the graphic novel format. And also because I involved Gabriel from the beginning, um, even though I knew the gist of the story and I already had it all kind of blocked out, I didn't actually write the whole script until I had him on board because I really wanted him to be able to participate in creating the characters. Um, because even though they were kind of based on the casual Teen Titans he was drawing, like there were a lot of characters that were new because it's an origin story. So I had to populate the world. And so, you know, I wanted him to get to create those characters from scratch because, I, you know, a lot of times I hear um, artists complain about the fact that you know, like they're treated kind of like you come on and do the work, um, which obviously, you know, like I can't imagine a lot of professional writers do not treat them that way, but that's a common complaint. And to me, I just saw him as like my co-creator, kind of like, you know, Margaret was my co-writer. So I just saw it as like it was our book and our world. And I kind of explained my vision and he told me what was important to him about the characters. And then, like, you know, we brainstormed and we went back and forth. And if one of us didn't like something, then we we ditched it. You know, it was not like you draw what I tell you. It was like we brought the characters to life together. And that was actually the same thing that um, I did with Miko from the very beginning was we because it was he was going to get to create this new Joker. So it was like, what do you here's what I see. What do you see? And we put it together. Mm -hmm. So even though you get to see the characters a lot of times in the beginning before you get pages, it's really different when you get the actual pages with all the panels. Um, and it really, even though I read graphic novels and I knew that this is sequential, you know, sequential storytelling and that the art is part of the story. When I saw how much it brought to my script, it was just so overwhelming in the best way. Because yeah. it really brought everything to life, like, and it it filled in gaps and kind of, you know, created like bridges in the story that you know sometimes I didn't even intend, but like I could tell the moment Gabriel drew them like belonged to there. That's awesome. Uh, there was a, a quote from you. Now, I don't know how much of this comes from uh, your consulting with Dr. Kurz on this book. And mm -hmm. uh, I think I think he also worked with you on uh, your X-Files. Mm -hmm. But uh, there, there was a quote I saw from you where you said, I know an inappropriate amount about serial killers for someone who's not a serial killer or a psychiatrist. Yes. <laughs> Does that come from uh, from consulting so much I with mean, someone like Dr. Kurtz? I mean, it comes from consulting and then also um, with Dr. Kurtz. Um, his his partner is a good friend of mine, too, um, Tom Sixby. He was my other consultant on X-Files, and <clears throat> I, you know, work with him a lot. But I also, um, you know, I don't want to say I'm attracted to darkness, but um, I always, my stepfather was an undercover cop. So I always at a very young age had an awareness of like, like that there were dangerous people that, um, you know, did not feel remorse, were not going to feel bad for you if they did terrible things to you. Um, you know, like I, you know, I mean, my brother and I were brothers and I were very aware of like, you know, strangers and the fact that kids got kidnapped. So I think that part of that was like the training. 
I mean, my stepdad from a young age, it was like, you know, you know, what do you, what do you do if some guy walks up behind you? I mean, you know, he was doing like wrist holes and like, I know how to get out of handcuffs and zip ties. Like those were things that to him were like practical knowledge that was, was important for me to know, especially once I got to the age where I was like dating and working, you know, as a teenager and leaving the house alone. I mean, you know, he, I I had to learn how to drive stick because my stepfather said, (laughs) And this is in my, by the way, like the car that he rebuilt with me was, was automatic. But he said, what if you get kidnapped by some guy and he takes you out in the middle of nowhere, but then he, he goes to do something and you somehow get loose and you're able to escape. But the only car he, that's there is a pickup truck and it's stick shift. Like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I was like, those are, that's a lot of, those are a lot of pieces to fall into place, like for this scenario to come to fruition. <laughs> And he said, what are you, but what are you going to do? Like, do you want to not know how to drive stick and you can't escape because like you're too lazy to learn how to drive stick? And I was like, okay. And it wasn't really a discussion. Like it wasn't really up for, you know, I wasn't allowed to say no. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I made fun of him my whole life, but you know, not, I mean, not to get it. It's a long story, but when I was 22 or 23 after when I was first teaching, I woke up in my apartment that I lived in alone. And there was a guy in my room. I did not know a stranger in my room. And I got out of the situation unscathed. And it is 100% because of all that ridiculous training. Wow. Wow. So now my stepdad will tell you that he saved my life (laughs) with his preparation. But, it, you know, it, it, but and, and I kind of use all that because I think about mm-hmm. like, like, especially when I'm like with something dark like Joker and also um, X-Files, um, the X-Files Origins Agent of Chaos is um, like has a serial killer in it also. And, um, you know, I use those moments of like, you know, being afraid and like remembering what it's like when, you know, it's very different. Like you feel like you're really prepared for an emergency or a scary situation in your mind when you're playing it out. But when you like wake up and there's like a guy standing like in your room, it's totally different. So I try to like, I try to weave the thing experiences that I've had into my work the best I can. Yeah, I, I can see now as you're explaining uh, what you've been taught, what you've been exposed to, where all of that plays into, in particular, uh, how you're writing Criminal Sanity. Because when you're reading this book, it feels like you're reading a crime story that happens to be in a comic book and happens mm-hmm. to be using cr- characters that we know from comic books. It doesn't feel like you're reading a comic book. Yeah, so that was kind of when I pitched it to Dan DiDio and Jim Lee and Bob Harris, um, you know, a long time ago. That's what we talked about was the idea of, um, you know, taking who, what I can, you know, who I consider one of the most iconic serial killers in, um, you know, media, in pop culture, and putting him on the page to do his worst in Gotham, you know, because we also always hear about all this crime in Gotham. So I was like, you know, in this point, like he's, you know, he is, has the city under like terror. Like everyone is terrified by the time the second or third murder happens and the police can't keep this under wraps anymore. People know there is a a very dangerous killer out there. And Criminal Sanity is a dual story. 
So it cut every issue cuts <clears throat> away at one point, and you actually see Joker from the from the age he starts out. He's around um, ten. You see him basically evolve as a killer, and like you know, like you see kind of his beginnings and you know the, his problems at home and how he loses his mom, and then you see kind of the progression, you know, into this like very seasoned. Um, criminal and killer and one of the things you find out is that the the joke quote-unquote joker was killing previously so people don't necessarily know that the person that's doing these present-day murders in this series they don't you know the police haven't figured out it's a joker but the gotham was already like tormented five years prior and now it's like all of a sudden there's another killer who's even, you know, more gruesome and, you know, more dangerous. And so I tried to really, uh, and I think my artists do the heavy lifting on this. Like they, like Jason talks all the time about wanting goth, you know, to be able to capture that really gritty Gotham um, from some of the Batman runs and, you know, and like, um, and like, um, Gosh, I'm blanking. Um, you know, the, it's the GCPD series. Why am I oh, uh, Gotham Central? Yeah, Gotham Central. Gotham Central. I was like, why am I blanking on this? You know, that kind of gritty feel of Gotham. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, they totally nailed that. And I wanted, I and also, you know, I, I, I was, it's playing into that time where like Gordon is not the chief, like he's not the head yet. Like there's still a lot of corruption and I really wanted to like it to feel that way. And I wanted to have like, I, when I was doing like the bullpen and stuff in the precinct, I was thinking about like the bullpen, you know, my stepdad was an undercover cop. He wasn't, he was playing clothes. He wasn't a detective, but obviously I'd been in the bullpen a bunch of times. And I was thinking about like what those, you know, that precinct was like and, and the old holding cells in the, in the eighties, you know, where literally they were like right in the middle of the room practically. Like they weren't like in, you know, a separate area. Like they were, people were just like yelling from the holding cell the way they are in movies. And so I was trying to like kind of capture that feeling so that, um, so that you could read it as, I mean, I honestly, my favorite part is the evolution of Joker in it and seeing Harley's progression, like her beginnings. But I feel like, you know, you can read for different things. You can read for the, like, my question was always kind of like, how does a man become a monster? How does like a regular boy evolve into that? So it's like you can be reading for that. You can be reading for the true crime aspect. You can be reading because, like, you know, maybe you are, you know, interested in seeing Harley and Joker tension on the page that doesn't have anything to do with, um, you know, dating or sexual tension. Because theirs is almost intellectual tension. You know, what he, what appeals to Joker most about her is how smart she is and the fact that she is tracking him. You know, like he's kind of interested in her because she's studying him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, I've I've never been one to read much in the way of uh, reviews or you know what people are are saying about books uh, online. But with the the departure that you've taken here with characters, with giving uh, not only with giving Harley uh, a, a different look at her life, you know what what we've seen of, of her past and the family that she had, and then just giving Joker a, a 
a history period, you know, giving him and we saw him as a child and we saw what mm-hmm. was what was leading him to be this way. Uh, what's the response been like uh, that? Have you gotten uh, pushback from fans or has uh, has the. No, I've been pretty surprised. I think that, you know, I think that a lot of, you know, Harley is really kind of iconic and she is very important to survivors you know, to, um, you know, women who've experienced violence, domestic violence, you know, sexual violence, like women who've had to overcome really difficult odds. And I think because, you know, as someone who also has dealt with, um, you know, relationship violence, um, I mean, it's kind of a bad label. I was stalked for a long time, but it wasn't actually someone I was in a relationship with, but that's what they call it. Like having been in those situations, it was very important to me to not strip that away from her because what I feel like is important about Harley is always that ability to not give up, the ability to overcome and reinvent herself. Like the fact that like she is not going to go down without a fight. So I didn't want to take that away from her because I was taking away the kind of like, you know, wacky, like I fell for Joker aspect. So I was like, I want to keep the real fighter in her alive and well. I don't want to turn into like, just like a regular, like bookish psychiatrist with like, you know, a lab coat and glasses. Cause I was like, you know, once she's exposed to him and, and he has an impact on her early life, like, you know, she is way tougher than that. And so that was important to me. And then with Joker, it's hard to explain without having read it, but I do give him a backstory. But what you come to learn is that some of the things that are in the backstory aren't as they seem by the time you get all the way through his backstory. Um, it was important to me not to, there were certain things I, a certain kind of um, like mis- mystique and like mystery around the character that I did not want to destroy. I didn't want to really tell you his real origins as a little kid. And even though there's some of that in there, you come to find out that there are pieces like that seem in place that later are kind of a twist. Yeah, I've, so I've been I, suspicious of that. I, yeah. As as I was reading each issue, I, I kept thinking, like, gosh, some, something's up here. Like, we're going <laughs> to find out that this wasn't really him as a kid. Like, you know, we thought it was him, but this is just well, someone I, that he killed. Or I don't do... Well, actually, that's a really good twist. That is not it, but that's a really good twist. Um, But you will see a big twist. Because one of the things that I... When I was pitching this, um, you know, I, one of the things I said to Dan and Jim was... Um, you know, having come from the X-Files, which, you know, those, so the X-Files origins are actually two books. One's Mulder's written by me, and then Scully was written by Jonathan Mayberry. And um, Chris Carter made those canon, which was not the original plan. They were just going to be like these fun fiction books. But, you know, I am a fan, and so it was really, and so is Jonathan, so it was really important to us to respect the work and the core of the character, and that really taught me, you know, that you can do a lot of things with a character, and fans will be okay with it as long as, like, you are respecting, you know, kind of the unwritten rules, and I said early on to Dan and Jim, like, you're gonna have to read, like, a ways to, like, get to it, but I said, I, you know, you're not gonna find out his real name. You're going to, you might think you are, but you won't in the series. You are not going to find out like all of the details about his childhood. Like there are a lot of twists. And of course, you know, I'm not going to spoil them here, but I outlined them for them. So I said like, 
you know, what the, what the reader might think that they're getting in the first couple issues, you know, like, and they might be suspicious, but I, I didn't hold back on that in interviews and Comic-Con and things like that. I was very honest with the readers and said, like, you know, like, stay with me on, you know, stay with me on the journey. And I promise I'm not going to like ruin the mystique for you. Now, there's a cool thing that Joker does, like sort of uh, hit his calling card throughout the story where he does, uh, he takes the, the coat hangers mm-hmm. and he twists them up to yeah. uh, put inside the person's mouth and give them a smile. Mm-hmm. Does that, did, did that idea come from your exposure to the, the long exposure to like police uh, culture or the exposure to the studying of, of the psychology of killers? It was really the psychology because, well, and also, you know, there was always like a question, like, you know, Miko kept saying like, are we good? Like, I know, you know, you're not going to have him have, you know, um, like he's not going to do kind of like the, the old Jack Nicholson thing to their faces. But I, but I wanted to have like these nods to the actual, you know, to the kind of iconic things that we associate with those characters. And I really wanted there to be a smile aspect because Joker, even though his makeup is kind of like, it's not as smiley as normal. It's much more smeared because he kind of does it by hand. So I was like, I I would love to have a smile somewhere or a nod to the smile. So that was kind of like my nod. And that's his signature in their early murders, and then it's, it actually changes. So I, I felt like for that, you know, that part of the story, people would get one of those kind of like, you know, those little iconic things that we know about him. Miko does it a couple times in some of his pages. Like, you'll see, you know, Harley wears obviously like her leather jacket and boots and jeans. and But like, you see once in a while, there'll be a shadow or something that's like kind of in the diamond Harlequin shape. And it's, like, those kind of little things where, like, we just want to, like, we gave her, like, she has this black leather jacket, and then on the colored pages, you see there's, like, a racing stripe on the side that's that's red, and that was Miko's idea. He was, like, I want there to be something red, so it's not, like, her tip, she doesn't have a costume on, but it's, like, a typical, like, a nod to her colors. So those were, like, things, little things we did. There is one other little thing. Um, I think it's uh, in a flashback where uh, she was maybe flashing back to uh, when her roommate, her her best friend, w- was killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see that photo of the two of them. Yeah. And you just see the very, like, just her shoulders and, like, you know, maybe an inch or two below her shoulders. And it looks like she's wearing, like, a, a Harley-style costume. She is. That was Jason's idea. It's it's Halloween. And, yeah. and you see she's wearing, like, the Harlequin outfit. And her costume with with um with her best friend Edie, and those so those were the kind of things that like it was, and those and that wasn't in the script. Those were like the things where like the like once the artist like once we talked about like this is what we're doing, um and Miko was signed on like um, Mike Mayhew started with us and he mm-hmm. was on the first two issues and did a phenomenal job and. But Miko was the first artist attached, and he jumped on board with me, like, the October before we even started. So basically a year before the first issue came out. And so he has been in this for a long time now. Um, And just the level of, like, commitment and how much he and Jason put into these pages and the 
and God, like Annette's colors, crazy, <clears throat> so amazing. But like they put so much into this and it really is a labor of love. Um, the, 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 you know, the pandemic and scheduling things kind of, you know, messed with us. We had to go from being monthly to bi-monthly, which I think is hard for people because, you know, like you lose a lot of momentum that way. So my hope is that once it's collected and people can just sit down with the whole thing. And like David Mack did the special with us. Like that was, I'm such a fan of his. Like that was such an amazing honor. Um, mm -hmm. He did several interior pages and the cover. And then throughout the, throughout the flashbacks, we use his handwriting from the special as the Joker's handwriting. Mm. Which is cool. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing I want to clarify from uh, in the beginning. So when the series is referred to as nine issues. That's including the the secret files special. Issue. Yes, yes. So, so the so, secret files is it's 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 one through eight plus the secret files. So the so there's shot. just one issue left. One issue left Ooh, coming out in March, Damn. and it is. I, I mean, I love seven personally because it has like an amazing murder scene in it that was yeah. so much fun. But um, but eight is eight is really big. And the cool thing about this series was I knew how it was going to end, like, like from the moment I came up with the idea of, like, because originally it was, I came up with this YA, YA idea, and it was interesting because um, Marie Javins, who's now, um, you know, the editor-in-chief, she was actually working on the children's line. It was before she moved as group editor for JLA, and um, she, I pitched it to her, and she was like, okay, this is too dark <laughs> for what we're <laughs> doing. But she said, but I love it. Like, you know, and Michelle Wells, who was also the VP of the line, was like, this is great. Like, and she kept encouraging me. She's like, I don't know what you could do with this. But like, if there was a way to age it up. And I didn't know about Black Label. It hadn't been announced. And I kind of came up with this structure to be able to age it up. And, you know, where, where suddenly like Harley played this giant role. And it was like, you know, it was like backstory was the teen story I had. And then the front story was like, you know, who did this team turn out to be? And when, you know, when I pitched all of that, um, it was interesting because Black Label had not been announced and they were, I mean, they had people working on it, obviously, the first couple titles. But they kind of said, like, there's a place for this, um, you know, because we're, we're, we're creating this line for these kind of, um, you know, out of continuity, you know, stories where you get to play with the characters a little more. And, um, you know, and it, and it, you know, the, and the main thing was originally, I really thought it was going to be nine issues, but, um, because of all the stuff, like we really, the secret files is super cool and it has like two different sets of, um, like information in it. It has case files and it has other things in it. And, mm -hmm. um, because like the, we had kind of stuff going into that, it turned out that it was going to be eight plus the one shot. So I mean, I'm excited to see how people respond to the end because um, I think it's, I mean, I think it's great and I've seen like the art and it's amazing. So, um, I mean, like Jason and Miko really like brought their A game. They were like, we're going to, you know, blow everyone away with the last issue. So yeah, I'm really I, I've excited for people to read it. He's, they're both really amazing. And, you know, Miko's work in the series is in um, Grayscale. 
and with just spot color on Joker's makeup in places. Uh, and blood is usually the other thing that gets colored. And everything else is like he's, you know, he's just his ink. And it's and then all the, the backstory and cutaways of like that are not in Harley's POV, like of Joker at other times in the past or in color. And it's just I mean, it's amazing. Like, yeah, that's, that's something he, you guys did differently from what we usually see. Like, uh, typically, if we get a story that takes place in in the future and in flashbacks, we'll get the the current story pages are in color and when it goes to the past it's black and white yeah. but this is the opposite we get we get those uh the the, the history in color yeah and, and all the current stuff is and that, you'll that just see heavy it, and you'll see it um there's a couple crime scenes only that are in color because harley does not arrive at them immediately one like um one of them you know like you you the the people discover it before the police so like that one's in color and you can really see like the, like the drawing is very photorealistic in the series. So like it's very graphic and hmm. like I feel like somehow the black and white and Nico's inks, it's incredible, but it also it, it gives you like a little bit of distance so that you're not like, you know, necessarily looking at like blood and viscera all the time. Now, we are getting close to uh, our time cap here, so there are just a couple things that I wanted to get to here. One, this isn't even about your work per se, but I wanted to ask you, just as a creator and someone who obviously would prefer for your work to come out the way you wrote it, the way you intended it, mm-hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on something like the Snyder Cut situation that we're we're seeing right now where fan demand was able to undo changes to a creator's vision that were put into play by the powers that be. I mean, the thing that really protects me is like, like no one can change my, like in my graphic novels, like contractually, like no one can just write over my words. Like they have to, like they have to show them to me. And, and I actually think that, you know, that's one thing I like about prose versus like screenwriting where like anyone can just change whatever, like in, in comics, I've also found, you know, they, there's a lot of respect given to us. Like even when there'll be an issue when my Christy Quinn, my editor for Joker will need to change something. She always says, I need to change this. Are you okay with that? You know, or would you prefer this? And I do think about that because I have done teleplays and I know when you write for TV and screen, like people can just change whatever. Um, and I feel like you have to know that going in because it is, and for me, it's not that I'm precious, but it's, it's that like, I don't want my name on something I didn't write. You know what I mean? Because like for better or worse, um, if, you know, if it's like story by, and then someone else goes over the script and their names on it, it's fine. But I don't want my name on something I didn't do. So I think that, um, and I, and, and in a way, I think the Snyder Cut's cool because it's the original vision for the film. And I do think that, like, fans knowing that there was this bigger, longer, like, more nuanced script and, you know, that this his family circumstances, which were so, un- could be so unforeseen and so tragic, prevented him from being able to finish the film. Like, that's a really unique situation. Um, I'm glad it's coming out because I feel like as a creator, you know, it's 
probably amazing for him to get to finish and actually show everyone what he spent all that time on. Um, but I also think that the truth is, like, as a fan, too, like, I, if I am a fan of a creator or something that trailers are coming out and people are telling me what it's going to be about, like, that's what I want to see. Yeah. You know, I don't want to find out that other people were tampering with it and now it's a different thing. And that is one reason why I really enjoy novels and comics and things at a, like, at a more, at a close kind of truer level than I enjoy like films, because I know that screenwriters and even directors, like they don't have the final say all the time. So there might be things they really wanted in their film that maybe somebody vetoed. Whereas, you know, with my novels, it's like no one can change my words without permission, literally. So I know that whatever I put out in that book is what I agreed upon at the end that I signed, like, the past pages. And, you know, I do think that that's a, I don't know, it's a, it's, it's a nice feeling knowing that someone isn't going to come and trample my work and that if it's messed up, it's because I messed it up. <laughs> that's the way it should be. Yeah, and I mean, I do, I mean, I will say, I have never had DC get, you know, like, try to change anything without telling me. I've never had them, um, they've never, like, tapped me to do something and then said, oh, no, we changed our mind. We don't want you to do that. We want you to do this. They have been very um, cool about, like, you know, if they don't like something in a pitch, they tell me right away. And they're like, what, is that a problem? Are you okay with that? But it's never like I write a script and they're like, ah, we changed our mind. Now we really want Beast Boy to do this. So I respect the fact that, like, when they hire me for a job or they, you know, they accept one of the pitches that I've turned in for a project or a script, like, that, you know, it's the vision that I originally, you know, offered them. Um, and I think that's why I continue to work with them, because that, I love that. I don't want to work for people who, you know, tell me that they want one thing and then I spend all this time develop because I do spend a lot of time developing things and then have them say, oh, no, we, we changed our mind. We just want, you know, we don't want a meaty story. We just want, you know, like cotton candy. Because, it's you know, like I want to know going in, like, you know, I want to know what age I'm writing for. I want to know the audience, the medium. And, um, you know, I think they've been very cool about that. And all my editors, like Christy, it's funny because my editor is Christy Quinn. I always tell her she's related <laughs> to Harley. And, um, you know, and Michelle Wells, like, you know, um, I have worked with some other editors, um, associate editors. Like, they've all been fantastic. It, it's great that uh, everything is positioned that well because it wasn't always that way, particularly in the early Black Label stuff. You know, we we had some conversations with Lee Bermeo back when that was going on and but uh, it, it's nice that you don't have to uh, go to war with them to, no. to keep your vision in there. And honestly, like, I mean, I, but I was very, I mean, like my, my pitch was ridiculous. Like it was very, cause I didn't really, I didn't, I wanted them to know, like, if I'm doing this, it's going to be bloody. It's going to have like actual murder scenes in it. Like it's not going to be like fluffy. Yeah, you're um, slitting people's throats. <laughs> yes. So, like, I wanted them to know that. Um, and, like I said, like, I had no problem with, like, you know, like, Bob Harris was always looking at it also, proving and Jim. Like, I had no problem if someone's like, oh, we don't like this camera angle or we want the shot different. We don't want it quite this close. Like, that's all cool. But if they had been like, you know, we really want them to just, like, solve, like, Scooby-Doo mysteries mm -hmm. and we don't want to see any bodies. Like, that is not what I signed on for. 
Can can you get rid of these times where it says the trachea was removed without causing any damage? <laughs> yeah, like, I, that's what I mean. Like I just was like, but there are pages. I mean, there's an autopsy page, and you know, Miko and I have a very um, high tolerance. Like we're both Hannibal fans. We're both David Fincher fans. Like. And there was a point, you know, like Christy will say things like, please don't send the autopsy reference photos to me in the email. Like, please send them only to Jason and Miko. But like Miko has a super high tolerance. He's like, you know, like he'll send me pictures and be like, do these ligaments look the right size? Or should we use tendons? Is this intestine falling out on the yeah, bench he'll be like, look he'll okay? Be like my, he'll be like, my, well, he wrote me earlier on. He's like, there's a... Um, I, we call it the Vitruvian man murder in the first yes. one. And yeah. Miko, Miko wrote, he's like, okay, my sister's a nurse and she's really concerned that it's going to be too hard to see the ligaments in uh, the grass. So we should have tendons. And he's like, here's the size difference. Like those are the kind of conversations. <laughs> and Jason said early on, like, okay, guys, like, I don't want to see these autopsy photos. I want like a small screen cap of the section I need to draw. And you don't need to tell me what it is. Like, so, you know, we did things like, you know, we sh like the autopsies from the side because even Bob was like, please tell me this is not going to be from above. <laughs> and I was like, and after I like actually did a lot of um, study, like, like, for example, I did not realize that when they do the autopsy, they actually take all the organs out. They like mm -hmm. weigh them and measure them and stuff. And then they put them all back in. And Bob was like, please we cannot have like hearts laying on the table and <laughs> and so those were the kind of things where Miko was like really and I was like listen there's he's like he is not the first person like several people have mentioned this it seems like you and I are the only people that think the heart and like you know the liver laying around is not a weird thing so you know we we try to like work within um you know like everyone's tolerance because again like I also don't want it to be like we're just trying to show you gross stuff for shock value. Like we want to show accuracy, but if the accuracy is going to gross everyone out, then like, you know, I was like, okay, we're going to show different instruments in the autopsy room, for, you know, instead of, because originally like me and Miko, we were going to have them like her, the ME weighing a heart. And Bob was like, oh, and, mm -hmm. and, and Christy was like, wait, oh no, it's actually Molly Mahan. Um, when she was still at DC was the original editor. And she was like, I don't know about weighing the heart. <laughs> Why do people only like seeing hearts if they're inaccurately shaped? That's, yeah. I know. I was like, you know, this is a great opportunity. This is like a great opportunity for all the biology classes people missed. And, I, I, but it was like clear that since Miko and I were the only people down with this, that was probably not a good idea. So after writing, you know, in this, I guess, black label tone, do you think it's, do you like, or do you want to pursue at this more mature uh, comic level, or would you be more comfortable going back to like a? Well, a I I I did. I just I just finished a unannounced YA um, graphic novel that hasn't been announced yet, and I mean uh, my part, the script, and um, <clears throat> I'm still working on Teen Titans. So I think for me, the real thing is like it depends on the the subject because I love doing teen stuff. I love writing for teens. I love writing, you know, Beast Boy and like these fun characters and seeing all of like all of these people come and cosplay the characters. Do you but find I it also... hard going from one, you know, one age group to the 
No, it was actually pretty funny because I did this big fancy panel that was very intimidating because it was me, Jeff Lemire, the night after he won the Eisner, um, Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, and John Romita Jr. And me. And I'm like (laughs) sandwiched between John and um, Jeff. And, you know, this was when they announced the series, but it wasn't out yet. And, uh, you know... Dan was the moderator and, you know, he said, like, a lot of people in the audience are asking, like, you know, how are you going to be, you know, going to be able to shift from, you know, like, Beast Boy and Raven to this? And I said, like, you know, and it was funny because John Romita Jr. was, like, laughing and he's like, yeah, you look like a school teacher. Like, you look like such (laughs) a nice lady. And I said, well, you know that may be so, but like, do you know how to melt body fat? Because I do. And, <laughs> and, you know, I said like, I am a dark girl and I really have two speeds, like darker adult stuff or teen. Like what I don't have a great handle on is like, you know, like fun, carefree adult. Like it's, I'm kind of like, like if they gave me like a DCU title, it would have to be someone dark. Like I could never do you know, like the fun care, like I couldn't do the flash, Yeah. you know, like, like <laughs> unless, just unless too he was optimistic. doing autopsies. <laughs> yes. Unless it was like autopsy flash. Do, do a really I, fast autopsy. But like, give me, you know, like, Dead um, man. yeah. Or, um, oh. I, you know, I, I love Deathstroke. Like somebody damaged, you know, someone who has like a lot of darkness going on. Like I could That's totally pain. do that. So I like both, but I will say, which I totally knew going in, writing a periodical, I don't care what age group it's for, is so much harder than writing a graphic novel. Like writing in that weekly, monthly form, you know, that, you know, where your story is not all coming out in one volume is so hard. I give it to, I don't know how some of these creators are doing like multiple weekly comics, like they're machines. And and like how Tom King does things like where he is... At one time, he'll be balancing like three 12 issue yes. miniseries. Like, that right. Is- and that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm like, I have no idea how he's hand- like doing that. And they're all coming out like once a month. Like, cause that's still, you know, like Joker's weeks of work for me for an issue. So, like, if, you know, if that had remained monthly, there's no way I could have like balanced another title or two on top of it. So, I, I don't know how I'm Bendis. Like, I don't know how any of these like super prolific writers. Are, um, Jeff Lemire's constantly writing multiple projects. Um, you know, Scott Snyder that I just, I give it to them because it is, it's really hard and it's like a masterclass because you, you know, you have to be, you have, each issue has to be like a very significant big piece of story, you know, that, that is like entertaining on its own, but obviously a part of the bigger whole. And that is a like, that's much more actually like writing episodic television, like writing um, a TV series that comes out weekly versus streaming. And that's hard. Well, we have already kept you here longer than uh, we had discussed. I just can't let you out of here without firing up Gramps here to hit us with a quick lightning round. Okay. Okay, and these are just random questions that I'm just going to pull out of the air. Um, What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Um, Chocolate peanut butter. Chocolate Mm -hmm. peanut butter. And what kind of toppings do you like to put on there? 
Um, that's I, I either I'm like a hot a traditional hot fudge Sunday girl or I like like weird flavor only. I don't like weird flavor plus stuff. So if I if it's plain, it's like vanilla ice cream, hot fudge, nuts, cherry, you know, whipped cream, or it's like, you know, weird mix-ins. But I'm honestly like Dairy Queen dip cones are like my favorite thing ever. Yes. So good. They just opened up a, a they the one close to me closed and then they just reopened. And they always, you know, they'll you order the dip cone. And I for the longest time I always wondered why they hold it upside down and then give it to you. But um, it's to show how frozen it is and how yeah, it is. Totally. Yeah, because you know they also tip over like the the you know the blizzards. They like yeah. Them yeah. Fairy Queen is amazing. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, um, got to do the pizza one. Okay, let's What's do the pizza. pizza I like pizza. Your favorite type of pizza, or which type is best, New York style or like Chicago? Oh my food-ish? god, that's so hard. Um, okay, so uh, like pizza is literally my favorite foods and like I am equal opportunity when it comes to pizza. Um, I like Detroit. Um, I mean, like all of it, but I what I don't like is I don't like um, like California, like vegetable pizza. Like I want regular pizza. So I either want New York thin crust or I want deep dish with like, you know, like ham, pepperoni sausage i don't want vegetables on my pizza unless it's like garlic like no broccoli no spinach none of that stuff like maybe pineapple if it's hawaiian pizza but that's like the only excuse to put a vegetable or fruit that is not tomato on the pizza and please tell me you don't like dip your pizza in like salad dressing like ranch or something like that there are people that do that that's like a sin Come on, where? It's it's the same kind. It's the same kind of people that that don't want to see hearts being weighed in comics. No, no, no. Because <laughs> I know several of those people, but I don't know anyone who dips their pizza in I salad know several, dressing. And oh. I, I, I I've seen my it. Notes up at them. <laughs> yeah, that's no, no, no. I don't do anything weird to my pizza, like, but eat it, like, <laughs> like I don't dip it in anything strange. Like to me, pizza is like the perfect portable food. You sh- unless you're eating deep dish, which actually requires a knife and fork. Any other pizza, you should be able to like pick up and eat while you're driving in your car. Do you have any pets? I do. I have two dogs, Spike and Oz, named for characters from Buffy. Um, nice. They're dogs, a miniature long-haired dachshund who's very bad. And um, I have a half Shiba uh, Inu, half um, yellow lab, so he looks kind of like a coyote. Oh, and we have two fancy rats now. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, you, they're Dumbo rats. They're like, and they're apparently fancy doesn't mean they look fancy. Fancy means that they've been bred, like domesticated. They've never okay. been outdoors. Uh, I thought it was like fancy roosters where it just meant they looked fancier, but mm-hmm. that is not what it means. And they're Dumbo rats. So they have big ears like the ratatouille, like oh. cartoon rats. Okay. And they're named Mochi and Boba. They're my daughter's pets. Do they like pizza? They like everything. They yeah. really like spaghetti and meatballs. Do they eat it together? Well, no. Because it, it's pretty. <laughs> I mean, they, like the meat, they're not like wharf rats. Like the meatball is like bigger than their head. But like, they, but what they do do is if you give them spaghetti, like they eat it from the ends, like, like in Lady and the Tramp. Yeah. 
So that's pretty cute. So, okay. I mean, I guess while we're on this food theme, food, food is a fun topic for us. I love food. <laughs> like, I literally, you can get me to, like, go on tour at places based on, like, what I can eat when I'm in the city. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What would you, and this may be morbid, but you said you're a dark girl, so let's talk about it. If you were on death row, what would your last meal be? Oh, that's so hard. That's like, And actually, I have considered this many times. Watching, like, every time I watch, like, Dead Man Walking, I was like, what would I be eating? I don't. I mean, I feel like it would have to be pizza, Chinese food, and hot fudge sundae. Because hot, like, as much as I love my family's southern, like, as much as I love fancy dessert, like Coca Cola cake and stuff, like, at the end of the day, it's like uh, the per- a hot fudge sundae, and that's kind of why I like the dip cone because it's it's like a cheat version of a hot fudge sundae. It's like a mini. Right. So I feel like a hot fudge sundae, and then my favorite. I mean, I love to cook, so I make a lot of Italian food. But I think I would want like food. I didn't make, and I would probably want pizza and Chinese food. You know what the worst thing about your your last meal on death row? If you got to do things like that, like say, like yeah, I I want pizza and Chinese food, and, and I want a gyro, and, and I want yeah. this, and I want this. To imagine at that point where you're just you know eating as much as uh, as you can of these different things that you wanted on that day, your last day on Earth, finding out, ah, oh, shit, these two things are great together, and I'm just finding out now. That's true. Or what I was thinking was like, then you they would about be about put, to put you on death row, and you have like a bad stomachache. Ah, yeah. Which what do they do now? Do, do they do they have to? You know, do they do they delay it? No, uh, I think they just, just say just... tough shit for you. Ooh, <laughs> Damn, I'm probably not supposed to say that. Oh no, you, <laughs> you, can, say, you can say you can say oh, yeah. okay. whatever we, you we, want. We just usually wait for the for the guests to swear before we start. Yeah, like so, like, know. Wait, you know, with Tom King, it's in the first thirty seconds. <laughs> um, plain or peanut M and M's? Peanut for uh, sure. Nice. What about what about what about peanut butter? What about peanut butter? Peanut butter, I like both. I like mm. crunchy and smooth. I depends on like what I'm doing with it. Like I feel like. Crunchy is only good, like, when it's just a peanut butter sandwich, like, just bread. But I feel like, you know, smooth can go on, like, English muffins and all kinds of other weird stuff. You know, like, you can, you know, mix Oreos with smooth, but crunchy is, like, just for sandwiches. So mm. let's let's end on an easy one. What is your most embarrassing moment? Go. Oh, my God. I have no <laughs> idea. Um... My most embarrassing moment. The time that oh, I had pizza and this, Chinese food and got a stomach. No, ache. yeah, really. <laughs> what I don't like, um, I mean, I'm fine on panels. I, I don't love being in front of a lot of people, but I definitely don't like being like the center of attention. And when I was turned 21, I was in New York and my friends, I told my friends I didn't want to go to any kind of like those male dance shows. I was like, I do not want to do that. And they were like, okay, we're going to go to dinner. And so they take me to one where it's like very, I mean, they claimed it was high end. I mean, it looked fancy, but let me tell you, it's all the same. It's still Magic Mike. Like there's, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter. And there was like a stage portion where I had to sit in a chair while there was like singing of happy birthday. And it was horrific. (laughs) And I was drinking and it was, I still vividly remember how horrible it was. And I remember like one, like, 
the guys come out and sing and there was a lot of like Motley Crue hair and like whipping of hair. And I also, because of the undercover cop thing, I don't like strangers touching me. Like, especially not like strangers that have like baby oil on and not all their clothes. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, you know, like a lot of these ladies were so excited. They really wanted their turn to come up and be, you know, have someone sing happy birthday to them. And I was just thinking to myself, like, this is my worst nightmare. Like strange, weird men whipping their hair around and they all smell like Hawaiian tropic. Oh. <laughs> I, I was getting hungry when we were talking about the food, but this fixed it right oh, up. Oh yeah. Trust me. Trust me. It fixed it. And, and I sobered right up. I, I don't like, want any food and I don't want any birthdays. And I was literally after that, like when my girlfriends were like, what are we going to do for a bachelor party? I was like, nothing. We're, we're we're having a daytime shower. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, I trust none of you anymore after the 21st birthday. It will never uh, and Like, there has never been a replay. I was like, this is, and they were all so, like, because, you know, I was so embarrassed, and they loved it. They were like, <laughs> they felt like such geniuses that they tricked me. Uh, I could I could smell the Hawaiian topic right now. Like, oh. Well, I mean, I'm thinking about it. Like, I've always still, like, I mean, you know, I've still been the girl who's, like, you know, worried about a guy pushing me in the white van to make a coat out of me. And there's, like, and I'm, like, in the chair with the oh, Hawaiian tropic, and I'm sure there was some sort of, like, poison song playing. It was horrible. Oh. It was not my speed. And see, what's funny is that Dave is laughing here because he tells us the story all the time about when he was a dancer and embarrassed the shit out of this girl dance, singing happy birthday to her. You better not have been there, Dave. We're <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you were the one with that, like, you know, Sebastian Bach skid row hair that was being flailed around. No, no, de- definitely not me. <laughs> when, when, when Dave... Uh, takes off his clothes and oils up he only dances to goodbye horses so you were safe there great because i i mean i literally i and i but i i vividly just also remember thinking like you know like like i remember there was like a you know they they i mean it's not like the movies like they do give you a little personal space but i remember like i kept putting my like arms really really tight against my body because Mm. i was just thinking like you know, I don't know who knows where they like all that has been. I just I wanted no part of it. You're gonna have oil stains on your clothes. Ew, no, no, there was no contact at that level, but I will say there was, you know, I smelled a lot of cologne and all that with all the hair whipping around in the air. Oh. It was, you know, it was, I mean, and also like, remember, like this was the, you know, like, God, how, how old was I then? I, I'm assuming it was like the early 90s. So mm. it was like, you know, like yeah, that was probably Dave. <laughs> See? <laughs> but it was like one of those Chippendales esque things that still happened back then. Mm. And like, and I remember after that, even like when my friends would have bachelorette parties, if there was any sort of like Vegas Chippendale component, I would always pretend to be sick. Because I was like, it's never happening again. Like, I would go out, and then when it was time for everyone to go to that, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I drank too much. I think I'm going to throw up. I have to go back to my room. And <laughs> everyone We should have started like, the conversation with this story, because this is, we could go all night with this. <laughs> uh, great. I think no one wants me to write a comic about this. Um, well, after listening to this, people are going to have nightmares about autopsies in Hawaiian tropics. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And or and pizza dancing. with vegetables. And pizza with oh. vegetables on it. 
future oh. with Hawaiian Tropic on it. That's <laughs> <laughs> awful. Uh, we have oh, kept you God. way over. I apologize for that. It's okay. But you guys thank are you very so fun. Much. Yeah, Likewise, you, you were great too. And awesome. Yeah. The the final issue of Joker Harley Criminal Sanity is out in March. What's the exact day it comes out? Do we know? Um, I don't know. It's I, out in March. Uh, Look it up. You all have Google. It's Jesus. all in March, and then the collected will come out in September. I believe it's early September. Ooh. Is is it going to be in that black uh, label format? Do you know the dimensions? I don't. They haven't. Well, I don't know. I mean, I saw somebody post it that was up. That mm. they saw solicitation for it, so I'm gonna. Have, I mean, I'm assuming it's in that, yeah. but um, I mean, it's you know, it's pretty big now, so I have no mm. idea. I'm assuming it will be big, but I could be wrong. I hope we get like a television series or something based on it. Maybe one day, who knows where it would if go? If not, <laughs> like I said, I'm always happy to you know, I'm always happy to write additional serial killers. Writing one in um, X Files was really fun. I re- the one my one regret was that that was a YA book because that could have gone super dark. Mm. That was um, because oh, it was right canon. one where he's a Chippendale dancer. No, it's not that one. <laughs> a, a Chippendale pizza delivery it's guy. Not that one. It's very scary though, and because it was, um, they wanted the time frame in canon even before they decided that the series was going to be become part of the canon. Um, it's set in 1979 because uh, Mulder 17. So it was really fun to write because like without cell phones and only pay phones and stuff like, you know, you can get into a lot of serial killer trouble, like Mm. with no phone. Mm -hmm. And that was really fun to write. And um, do do either any of you play Dungeons and Dragons? No, no, no hardcore nerding going on. here. (laughs) Not not that that's not my flavor of nerding. But, you know, we we spend our uh, our nights talking about comics on podcasts and i work at a comic shop so i think we're oh that's we're we're uh equivalently but sometimes you get both like my comic store third eye they have like a game store next door where like you can paint your own warhammer and stuff yeah Mm. Yeah, i mean i'm not saying that i do that but i'm just saying like (laughs) i had to learn to play D &D to write the x-files book so Mm. like Which was interesting. Like, I mean, I'm not good, but it was like, you know, I had to do like a demo game so I would know what I was talking about. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. And, you know, like I said, I wasn't good. Um, And again, like, I I think I'm better at cosplaying like than role playing. I'm better at just like putting like creating a costume than actually like acting any of it out. Mm. But hopefully, maybe we'll meet one day. Maybe we'll real cons will happen again. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. To go out into the real world because I I totally missed Comic Con this year and you know like I'm I'm gonna miss all those in person events. I'm hoping by next fall, maybe you know if we can all get vaccinated, we can go out into the world again. Mm. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. But until then, everyone get out, check out Criminal Sanity if you haven't already. One issue left. Jesus, I'm not ready for it to be over. I thought there were two issues left. Mm. But get out there and check it out. And thank you so much, Kami Garcia. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, you guys. Bye. 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 Have a great night. Thank you.